Welcome to the channel of Anna Purdue. Look for the link below the podcast and make sure to upload the podcast so you can multitask while hearing the message. And you can also look for the link and um, once you open it up, you can scroll over and select your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, or Google, and just look for the channel Anna Purdue. A huge shout out to Angela E, Jolie R, Leonard L, Jody F, and Rodney T for your donations to the channel. If you're interested in helping this channel, you can do so by clicking the donation link found on my website at AnnaPurdue.com. Stranger Things is an American science fiction horror drama television series created by the Duffer Brothers and streaming on Netflix. The brothers serve as showrunners and are executive producers along with Sean Levy and Dan Cohen. The series premiered on Netflix on July 15, 2016, set in the 1980s in a fictional town of Hawkins, Indiana. The first season focuses on the investigation into the disappearance of a young boy amid supernatural events occurring around the town, including the appearance of a girl with psychokinetic abilities. The second season focuses on Will's side effects from being in the Upside Down, and it's with its entities crawling into the real world. The third season focuses on this little girl, oddly named Eleven, and Mike's relationship as the kids continue their battle against the upside-down entities. The Duffer brothers developed the series as a mix of investigative drama alongside supernatural elements portrayed with horror, science fiction, and childlike sensibilities. Setting the series in the 1980s, the Duffer Brothers infused references to the pop culture of that decade while several themes and directional aspects were inspired primarily by the works of Steven Spielberg, John Carpenter, and Stephen King, as well as anime and video games. They also took inspiration from strange experiments that took place during the Cold War and real-world conspiracy theories involving secret government experiments. This series is a glimpse of the occult that has crept into our world today. One apt definition of occult magic, not to be confused with stage magic and sleight of hand, is the ability to affect change at a distance. In other words, the magician or sorcerer is able to alter people's behavior, not through physical means, but by means wherein the individuals have their perceptions altered. By that definition, the most sophisticated occult magicians on the planet reside in Hollywood. Even the etymology of Hollywood gives you a big clue as to what they intend to do to the masses. After all, in ancient Celtic lore, we learn that Druidic priests used the wood from a holly bush to make their magical wands. The wands were then used to direct life force or etheric energy during ceremonial rituals to presumably perform divination, direct elemental spirits, for they were doing this for the crops, of course, or to ward off evil spirits, of course, and perhaps even raise large stones, as we have seen with Stonehenge and other archaeoastrological stone circles as seen in England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. 
The shamanic priests of ancient antiquity were using their powers mostly for what they called good, whereas the black magicians of modern Hollywood certainly have far different designs on the consciousness of their followers. The major studios that make up Hollywood use symbolism and archetypes derived from the ancient mystery school traditions, but they invariably pervert and twist them to serve the Babylonian cult goals of idol worship, greed, materialism, blood sacrifice, and even pedophilia. This is the modern incarnation of a specific form of demonology which comes disguised as the trifold circles of Mickey Mouse oftentimes. It's rumored that good old Walt Disney himself was a pedophile and he certainly had a rather odd infatuation with young boys the way Michael Jackson did, who played Captain EO in a 3D movie screened at Disney's Epcot Center back in the 1980s. Besides the slave-like conditions he forced his animators to work, his hypocrisy by being an alcoholic, his vicious attacks against the counterculture along with his own animators, and his promotion of SS Nazi Werner von Braun, who was also the man primarily responsible for NASA's Apollo program, his films, amusement parks, TV shows, and toys would essentially steer generations of children into his way of thinking and behaving. Boys could be made into the perpetual adolescence many have now become with Disney's blessing in what's known as the Peter Pan Syndrome. And girls could be made into the vain, shallow materialists that most all of Disney's heroines are in every reiteration of the princess archetype that is spun out particularly every year beginning with Snow White and Cinderella. How many prepubescent teens flaunting an underage sexuality that went on to musical uh, superstardom started out as musketeers? Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, etc. were essentially launched by the Disney image makers. Certainly, talent has got absolutely nothing to do with their careers, as all that's needed is a pretty young face, a willingness to lip-sync insipidly idiotic songs, and the ability to exploit their tween sexuality for money, fame, and the mimicry of impressionable little boys and girls everywhere. This is the stuff that dreams are made of if... You're a sleazy corporate executive working for Disney, Inc. and cashing in on what passes for children's entertainment. In terms of what dark secrets lurk within the catacombs of Disney World barred from public view, alas, we'll never know and have only learned a few tidbits that make it worth pursuing. One such tidbit involves the on-site 33 Club that, from a numerological point of view, hints at Freemasonry. After all, the highest official degree in Scottish Rite Masonry is 33 degrees, which is considered an honorary degree that very few people attain. Presidents Harry Truman and Gerald Ford were both 33rd-level Freemasons, as were Apollo astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. 
Might Walt Disney have been one as well? All that we know for sure is that as a youth, Walt was one of the original members of the Masonic Demolay Order, which is named after Jacques Demolay, the Grand Master of the Knights Templar, who was burned at the stake after the Templars were abolished by King Philip of France and Pope Clement V. It's widely believed that the remnants of the Knights Templars went on to form Freemasonic Lodges in Scotland, Portugal, Switzerland, England, and America. Just as Freemasons are adept at slipping hand gestures, numbers, and symbols into the corporations that they control, you can be sure you'll find plenty of subliminal symbols embedded within Disney's films and television shows. Clearly, their Imagineers understood mind control as well or better than any Freemason ever will. Let's not forget that Disney Inc. is the umbrella company for many familiar names in the entertainment industry. This includes ABC Television, ESPN, the entire Marvel franchise, the entire Star Wars franchise, and studios like Miramax. And who was the longtime producer of Miramax? Why, it was Harvey Weinstein, who has recently been sent to prison after decades of sexual abuse was covered up by enablers within the company itself. Fortunately, Ronan Farrow wrote a tell-all book about the whole sordid Harvey Weinstein affair that he initially tried to get NBC to move on before they pulled the plug on it, and he ended up releasing it in The New Yorker. One of the rides at Disney World is actually sponsored by General Electric that in turn owns NBC. Might this have been just one example of how close Disney was to NBC and its president, Noah Oppenheim? We'll likely never know, given that these episodes tend to be cloaked in non-disclosure agreements drawn up by armies of attorneys. However, one can take comfort that, however long overdue, at least Harvey Weinstein won't continue to use his Hollywood clout to get wannabe actresses to give him naked massages with happy endings and what must have been like being sexually assaulted by Jabba the Hutt. Ronan Farrow is a lot closer to the workings of pedophilia than you might realize given his own family. He's ostensibly the son of Mother Mia Farrow and Woody Allen, although I tend to think he's more the product of an affair Mia had with Frank Sinatra as he looks nothing like Woody. Dylan Farrow, Woody Allen's daughter with Mia Farrow, has publicly accused him of sexual molestation. Mia Farrow is perhaps best known for her role as an expectant mother in the movie Rosemary's Baby, where she was courted by a satanic cult that were attempting to use her as a surrogate mother for giving birth to the Antichrist. And Rosemary's Baby was, of course, directed by convicted pedophile Roman Polanski, whose own pregnant wife, Sharon Tate, would be brutally murdered just one year after the release of the movie by the infamous Manson family in 1969. As if that wasn't bizarre enough, Polanski clearly was interested in the dark side of the occult as seen in the kinds of films he made, including one starring Sharon Tate herself, 
and in the choice of where he shot Rosemary's baby, namely the Dakota building in New York City. Another murder would take place right outside the Dakota in 1980. This time, it was legendary Beatles musician John Lennon who was slain by what appeared to be yet another Manchurian candidate, Mark David Chapman. Polanski would flee to France, Mia would divorce Woody, and Woody would marry their adopted daughter, Soon Yi Prevan. It's been said that the fictional relationship that Woody Allen was with an underage girl played by Mariel Hemingway in his movie Manhattan was likely based on the real relationship he was having at the time with 16-year-old model Christina Engelhart that would make it statutory rape. As the old saying goes, birds of a feather flock together, and two dirty Jewish birds that flock together often were Woody Allen and Jeffrey Epstein. In fact, prior to Epstein's death, Woody and Jeffrey used to pal around New York together. They'd also have dinner at places like Epstein's luxury town home on the Upper East Side that he was given in part for his sexual blackmail schemes by the billionaire owner of L Brands. Leslie Wexner. Besides, longtime guests on the Lolita Express like Bill Clinton and Prince Andrew. However, Hollywood A-listers were frequent guests at Epstein's mansion in Palm Springs, New York townhome, private island, and aboard his private jet as subsequent records attest. The web that Jeffrey Epstein cast was certainly a wide one, and it no doubt caught a lot of rich, famous, and powerful people in its sticky netting. One can only hope that we'll learn more once Epstein's primary procurer, Ghislaine Maxwell, goes to trial, if ever, assuming, of course, that she even makes it there alive. The people that run and control these sex trafficking rings really don't care about killing people like Jeffrey Epstein or Ghislaine Maxwell, especially if doing so shuts down further scrutiny into exactly who all was involved. Recently, a documentary series has been put out that examines in detail some of what Corey Feldman was talking about when he quipped, I can tell you that the number one problem in Hollywood was and is and always will be pedophilia. That's the biggest problem for children in this industry. Needless to say, Feldman was extremely apprehensive about releasing any big names. All he'd say is, they knew who they are, and when the time is right, I'll tell people who they are. Since this documentary movie, My Truth, The the Rape of the Two Corys, livestream was hacked, he has come out with some of the names of those he claims were sexually abusing him and Corey Haim, the biggest one so far, and presumably the one, only one you'll recognize is Charlie Sheen, who Feldman accused of raking, raping Haim when both were actors in the movie Lucas. At the time, Charlie Sheen was 19 and Corey Haim was 13. Suffice to say, Charlie Sheen adamantly denies the charge. On the talk show Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Tom Hanks talked about how he has something of an obsession for finding and taking pictures of single lost gloves lying in the street. Several pictures of presumably random gloves were shown while he discussed his fascination and curiosity about them. 
next to one of the many gloves he posted to his Instagram, you could make out six letters etched into the grime of a sidewalk concrete. The top three letters were SRC, and the bottom three letters were USA. What's the significance of these letters? Well, typing them into a U.S. search engine like Google, Bing, or DuckDuckGo won't get you anything suspicious. However, when you type them into the one of the biggest Dutch-Russian search engines, Yandex, something very curious happens. Hundreds of underage and sexually provocative poses of children pop up on all kinds of websites on the open web. So, apparently, those letters act as a kind of key to unlock those pictures, but only on Yandex. What are the odds? That's not all. Two days before actor Isaac Cappy was said to have jumped off a bridge to his death, he posted a video up on the web where he was asked if he was suicidal. He said, I'm absolutely not suicidal. Posters thought perhaps he might be given all that he described before, including the bombshell confession that Tom Hanks was a pedophile. His video confessionals have become the stuff of legend since they appear to be simply one man under great psychological stress at having to call out certain powerful Hollywood moguls and actors as being pedophiles. So, what are we to make of it all? Naturally, you've got to decide ultimately what is true for yourself. One thing is for sure, more is being revealed about the dark underbelly of Hollywood and the entertainment industry in general than we've seen in a long time, and I fully expect that it will continue into the future as we press forward into the darkness that is Hollywood Babylon. Speaking of Babylon... Recently, Britney Spears was freed from her unusually controlling stage dad. Britney is the ideal of the modern pop star, young, beautiful, controversial, and completely controlled by the music industry Illuminati. So it's no surprise that her hit song, Slumber Party, is infused with occult symbology. The first scene begins during the dark hours of the night. A car pulls up through the ominous gates. Brittany is heading for a magnificent mansion in the night in an incredible, un, with an, a beautiful full moon. But there's no driver in sight. Brittany leaves the car dressed in scarlet red, which is a satanic symbol ritual gesture. As she walks to the mansion, one can see strange statues, fire-breathing, juggling performers... Brittany is heading to an elite insider party. Secret societies in this part of the cabal are known for their exclusive parties for the rich and famous. But these are not ordinary parties. Behind the closed doors of their mansions, the ultra-rich are occultists engaged in evil practices. In promotional interviews, Brittany describes the video as having a younger eyes-wide-shut theme. She then goes on to describe it as fun, fun. Did she fail to understand what Eyes Wide Shut is actually about? Or is occult sex slavery and murder fun for Brittany? In this video, the Illuminati give you a first-hand inside look into what vile acts take place inside their parties. 
One party held by the Rothschilds in 1972 has recently been exposed. Unsurprisingly, they are, there are unnerving similarities to the scenes in Britney's 2016 video. As we continue, we see Brittany entering the mansion. A party is in full swing. As she walks up the stairs, immoral and uncompromising shots of men and women are seen everywhere, representing the grotesque, satanic sex rituals that take place within the mansion's walls. This point is hammered home harder by the cat ears we see most of the women wearing, which symbolism sex kitten programming, which is rampant within the elite satanic scene. Roseanne Barr said this, Well, this is a culture of fear, and nobody is more afraid than people in Hollywood. It's a culture of fear for sure. And it's a big culture of mind control, too. MK Ultra mind control rules in Hollywood. If you don't know about that, Google and look it up. Regardless, as Brittany walks through the party, she locks eyes with a mysterious man with a lightning bolt over his eye. This represents her meeting with Satan, who runs the Illuminati music industry. And we're told about this in Luke ten eighteen. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Brittany has long been a prisoner to the industry, and because of this, Satan will never leave her alone. Regardless of where she goes, Satan always follows. Since her fame in the late 90s, Brittany has had numerous crises due to mind-control breakdowns and the stress of coping with the MK Ultra life she has been trapped in. As the video unfolds, blatant sexual programming unfolds before our eyes. We see Brittany dancing suggestively on a couch, which represents the casting couch culture we all know about. We also see what she had to go through under sex slave and mind control programming. In reality, we are seeing a toned down version of what really goes on in these elite parties. As perilous times approach, Hollywood is getting more and more blatant. The immoral and coercive aspect of this video is undeniable. This is the sad life of a MK Ultra mind control victim. Britney Spears is one of the best examples of it from our generation. Britney was raised by the Illuminati since her Disney days, and unfortunately, she will probably never be free from this type of satanic abuse. Her music video exposes the industry for what it truly is. Britney Spears said this, When I tell people how I feel, they are hearing what they want to hear, not what I am really telling them. It's bad. I'm sick. I don't feel like it's out of control. I feel like it's too in control. Britney is not the only victim. There are scores of victims. This next victim tried her best to make the best of it, and now she is paying an ultimate price. Natalie Agostina was a MKUltra mind-controlled fashion model and sex slave who serviced politicians as a reward for their services to the super-rich Satanists that control the world. Her mind was compartmentalized by trauma as a young child, and her sexual services were performed by another altar. She had no recollection of them, yet it was obvious that she had been used. She became pregnant twice without recollecting intercourse. 
She was offered millions of dollars for a baby, but chose to abort them instead. She also had other psychic powers and functions in the netherworld of the CIA and Satanist elite. The Illuminati depravity she exposes is consistent with Dutch banker Ronald Bernard's revelations. The super-rich and royalty belong to a Satanist cult and engage in pedophilia, child and baby torture and murder and cannibalism on a routine basis. Police and military intelligence enable these crimes and cover them up. Whistleblowers are murdered or confined to a mental hospital in Natalie's case, Amsterdam's Mentrum Psychiatric Hospital. In the past, she was confined for two months in an isolation cell by Dutch counterintelligence. They tied her naked to a chair and quizzed her about codes which her normal personality can't assess. Then they took her to Mentrum where she was stripped naked and medicated. Her book was midwifed by Robin de Ruter, author of The Thirteen Satanic Bloodlines Paving the Road to Hell. His introduction provides an explanation of MKUltra brainwashing and how top modeling agencies are basically brothels. Bookers are pimps. Models who resist are disappeared. Here is a recent case. Natalie says that most 1980s top models traded sex for fame and fortune. She claims she was drugged and raped by the actor Keanu Reeves. Most movie stars are not only monarch slaves, they are also slave handlers. All live a double life. Natalie was present at events attended by David Rockefeller and members of the Rothschild family. All of a sudden, there was a bit of commotion. A very old lady came in and everybody made way for her. She looked like she was hundreds of years old. Bodyguards helped her to walk straight. She was covered with jewels. She came up to me and stroked my arm. I am honored to meet you. You have beautiful skin. Apparently, people who have everything seek the one thing they cannot have. She retired from modeling in the 1990s and became an anti-pedophile researcher and activist. I discovered that incest was gigantic and rapists of children were hardly ever punished in the Netherlands. The Dutch system was protecting these monsters. I was looking at the makings of a pedophile society. In 2018, the European Union prepared far-reaching plans to legalize and normalize pedophilia and the decriminalize sex with children across Europe. The principle of a minimum age has been abandoned already by several European countries. In these countries, adults are allowed to have sex with children of any age. They will not be prosecuted for rape if the child victim is unable to prove threat, violence, duress, or surprise. As you can see, better to exploit us, according says Natalie Augustina, who I believe is an extremely courageous woman. So today, Natalie Augustina is confined to this mental hospital a classically communist form of punishment for dissidents. We must demand her immediate release. The perils of Hollywood spill into all areas of society. 
In the months after the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre, the entertainment industry fought back against a small number of news stories apparently crafted to persuade Americans that some in Hollywood recognize a sense of responsibility for the violence their products all too frequently incite. To address the potentially problematic public awareness of the entertainment industry's causative role in gun massacres, Variety the entertainment industry's major trade publication since its founding in 1905 published a special edition titled Special Report, Violence and Entertainment. The visually impressive report attempts to put an industry-friendly spin on violent media product and to place it in a larger, violent, but seemingly disconnected social context so as to effectively absolve Hollywood's media moguls of culpability in societal violence. Perhaps the report's single most interesting and unintentionally revealing article is one authored by Variety's Israel correspondent Deborah Kamen. Israel, well-versed in terror attacks, has never had a U.S.-style mass shooting, writes Cayman. <laughs> Apparently, Cayman does not consider American-born Israeli physician and mass murderer Barak Goldstein's February 25, 1994 massacre to be a U.S.-style mass shooting. Goldstein who used his Israeli government-issued IMI Galil assault rifle to commit the murders, was an admirer of Rabbi Mir Kahane and active in the Israeli far-right political party founded by Kahane, Kok, a group classified by the United States and Israeli governments as a terrorist organization. Kamen quotes an Israeli-American writer, editor, and cultural commentator David Hazoni at some length. Hazoni, too, is at pains to di differentiate American and Israeli attitudes about guns, gun violence, and media violence. But just who is responsible for most, if not all, of that cartoonish U.S.-made TV violence? There is no mention in Variety's special report, Violence and Entertainment, that according to a widely respected author who, among his many other accomplishments, served as a sharpshooter with the Israeli Border Police Civil Guard. The industries that create, produce, market, advertise, promote, and defend lucrative, social, destabilizing, violent U.S. media product are heavily influenced or largely controlled by these Jews. It is true that Jews are represented in the media in numbers far out of proportion to their share of the population. They make up one-fourth or more of the writers, editors, and producers in America's elite media, including network news divisions, top news weeklies, and the four leading newspapers, New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, and Wall Street Journal. In the fast-moving world of media mega-corporations, these people are even more numerous. In an October 1994 Vanity Fair magazine feature profiling the kingpins of the new media elite titled The New Establishment, 
Just under half of the two dozen entrepreneurs profiled were this very group of people. In the view of the magazine's editors, these are America's true power elite. Men and women from the entertainment, communications, and computer industries whose ambitions and influence have made America the one true superpower of the information age. And in a few key sectors of the media, notably among Hollywood studio executives, these people are so numerically dominant that calling these businesses Jewish-controlled is little more than a statistical observation. Variety is, after all, a propaganda organ for a much larger propaganda organ, an industry that year after year lavished its most prestigious awards and award nominations on 24, a long-running popular primetime American television series that ever so persistently attempted to normalize torture in the public consciousness. That particular effort by Hollywood producers to legitimize torture was so successful that in February 2007, the New Yorker magazine reported that U.S. Army Brigadier General Patrick Finnegan, Dean of the United States Military Academy at West Point, accompanied by three of the most experienced military and FBI interrogators in the country, met with the producers of 24 to criticize the show for misrepresenting the effectiveness of torture as an interrogation technique, saying it encouraged soldiers to see torture as a useful and justified tactic in the war on terror and damaged the international image of the United States. Violent media product and its many various and well-documented pernicious effects on vast audiences, particularly young, naive, and impressionable viewers across human society, represent an increasingly serious public health and public safety challenge. America's continuing epidemic of violence is the tip of an iceberg of espionage-related and facilitated socially destabilizing violence, death, and destruction, violence that is attendant upon and to some extent caused by the U.S. entertainment industry's lucrative obsession with violent media product. The entertainment industry's deadly focus on violent media product, much of it, frightened with political and social messaging crafted to further the social, economic, political, and military agendas of industry moguls and Israeli leaders is in large part a function of Israel's robust, overt, Hasbara and covert psychological operations, campaigns, aimed directly at credulous U.S. audiences. Israel's long history of espionage against the United States government on United States soil, Israel's long history of spying on Americas, our Americans, and listening in on Americans' private conversations, even the communications of FBI counterintelligence units, and the telephone conversations of 
President of the United States is largely absent from the distorted but crucial public debate about the NSA's overreaching surveillance programs only because Israel-friendly U.S. politicians and media organizations typically cover up or downplay those crimes. As long as the Israeli political and media machine wills such wildly inordinate and inappropriate influence over U.S. politicians, political institutions, and what passes for popular culture and public discussion in America, it is very difficult to imagine that the NSA, CIA, FBI, and other U.S. law enforcement agencies will find the guidance and political support necessary to address effectively these increasingly problematic espionage-related and driven public health public safety, and national security challenges. But guess what, folks? There is something we can do. Yes, there is. We can boycott the movie and music industry starting today. If no one is participating in their wicked magic tricks they can only entertain themselves. I personally have removed myself from their filth for years. It has been such a freedom for me. I encourage each of you to do this today. Free yourself.